God's Child is our title today. Galatians 4, 4 to 7 is our text. Uh, This is the first Sunday after Christmas. Some years we get two Sundays between Christmas and Epiphany. This year we only get one. Uh, We were just in the Advent season. It's kind of the season of waiting, anticipation, looking forward. And now we're in the Christmas season as it comes to the, the church year, even though, you know, culturally... We're kind of moving on from the Christmas season. But in the church calendar, we're in the Christmas season. During the Christmas season, um, in other words, these one or two Sundays that follow Christmas before Epiphany, um, we often focus on the person of Christ. Maybe thinking of his identity as God and man, either particularly on one or the other of those uh, characteristics of Jesus. Our text today is the epistle reading for this Sunday, which is from Galatians. Um, If you're familiar with the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, uh, you'll know that a big theme of this letter, of what Paul wrote there, uh, relates to the ceremonial laws of the Jewish people before Jesus came. There were certain laws related to sacrifices and special holidays that they needed to observe that would keep them focused, as as we look at their purpose, the purpose was to keep them focused on the promise that God had made to save the world through their nation. The understanding of why God gave these rules, how they were supposed to follow them, what they all meant, often got muddled up in, in uh, Jewish culture. It became clear to Jesus' followers as he taught uh, that the time of these ceremonial rules was coming to an end, it became clear to them that it ended with him. It took a little bit of a process after he returned to heaven for them to realize that, but they did eventually find that out. Leading up to our text, our text which delves into who Jesus is and what he did for us, Um, Paul lays out an analogy to help understand what the laws that God gave were for. It also helps to describe why those ceremonial laws and celebrations don't need to be followed anymore. The particulars and the setting of what Paul is writing and who he's writing to are not the same as what we have now. And so for us to, to think about this a little bit, it's probably helpful, helpful for us to get a little bit of an idea of the culture that this illustration comes out of. To understand what Paul is getting at here and to know how it does apply to us. As we prepare for today's text, we consider the illustration that Paul is using. He talks about the law as a guardian. A guardian for us, that's the way he writes it, and particularly when he says that, when he says for us, what he's describing then, what he's talking about is himself and the other Jewish people in particular. Um, We often talk about the people who lived before Jesus' time looking forward to the completion of the promise that God had given them. That's what they were doing, looking forward to that time. So this means, of course, that they didn't know all the details of how this promise would be fulfilled. They didn't have a full picture of it. So Paul uses this illustration of a guardian to show how they, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, were guided in their faith by this ceremonial law. 
The setting that Paul is looking at here, the example that he's using of a guardian, is one where the child of a wealthy family um, would be guided in his daily life by a servant of the family. So it wouldn't be necessarily always uh, um, interacting with, with his parents, but they would have a servant who would guide the child's activities, who would stay with him and guide him through the day and make sure he was learning what he needed to be learning, he was doing his studies, he was learning to be a good citizen. This person was not exactly his teacher. He was more the one who would make sure that he was at his studies, that he learned the elements of life that he needed to learn. So this child of a wealthy family is an heir. He's part of the family, um, even more so than the servant who's leading him and in charge of him. But Paul says that as long as he is a child, he is no better than a slave, meaning he doesn't get to do what he wants to do. He follows this servant in everything and must obey him. Once he reaches adulthood, though, he gets to take full possession of what is already his, but hasn't been fully available to him. So Paul uses this to illustrate the purpose of the ceremonial law. He is picturing God's people, which before Jesus' time particularly referred to the Jewish people, he's picturing them as having been underage, in a sense. Now, everyone in the world is subject to sin and death. We all have our sinful nature, and we see the sin in this broken world. Um, God's child, uh, which could be individuals, but also can be his people collectively, were guided in saving faith by the guardianship of the ceremonial law. This law, as it needed to be followed and obeyed, was not a way to be saved. Even at that time, it was not a way to be saved. It was simply a guide. Um, this law, in its purpose of pointing to the final completion of God's promise was always a word of grace, of good news, because it always showed how God rescues and saves his people. We might say that it was a guardian of, maybe not a guardian of the galaxy, or maybe so, maybe it was a guardian of the galaxy, a guardian of the gospel, a guardian of the gospel, right? Keeping that message true as it was reaching its fulfillment. So, why don't we need to follow it anymore? Well, in this text, we see the identity of Jesus and his work, what he did, and Paul gives the reason why we don't need to follow that ceremonial law anymore and why this is such good news for us as he describes our relationship with God. Our text today is Galatians 4, 4-7. I'll invite you to stand as I read that. Galatians 4, 4-7, reading in Jesus' name. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
this word to us this morning. Thank you for this good news to us. And as it speaks about Jesus and his coming uh, as a baby and the life that he lived and what he did for us, I ask that you would guide us as we consider that and what that means for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to invite any kids that want to come up to the front to come up here. Come on up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, hey, what uh, what holiday did we just celebrate? Christmas. Christmas. Did you say New Year? That's tonight. <laughs> we'll celebrate that tonight. Yeah, we just celebrated Christmas, right? What do you remember about Christmas? You get to open presents, yeah. <laughs> what about the first Christmas? What do we remember about that? Jesus was born. Jesus was born. Yeah, that's the big thing about it, right? Um, how long ago was Jesus born? Are you going to give me an exact answer? Okay, what's the exact answer? Most likely about 2,028 years ago. Okay, I was just going to say about 2,000 years, but hey, yeah, that works. Yeah. Well, we don't know precisely, but yep, it's right around then. But about 2,000 years ago, do you think that, uh, I mean, how, what's been going on in the last 2,000 years? A lot of different things, right? Um, do you know why God picked that time for Jesus to be born? Do you guys know? Anybody know? I don't know exactly why. Do you know why? You have an idea? People were getting worse? Yeah, well, there's, there's some truth to that. People are getting worse, right? And that was a good time. You know, we don't know exactly why God chose that time. But what we hear in our text today is that God chose the right time to do this, to send His Son, and that Jesus lived and died for us. And, uh, and so we, le- we learn about that. So today, if you want to color one of these, I've got some of these for you. This is just a scene of the manger in in the stable. So, you guys can, here, <laughs> you can give those. Thanks for coming up. You guys want to take one of those back? You can get one from these guys here. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, as we, as we think about the larger things of life, like the purpose of life, of the spiritual realm, of how God works. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, big, the big picture of it is, is just a little too vague and too broad. And so we think about things often on a smaller scale than the big picture. It's easy to think in smaller terms because it applies readily to daily life. So as we think about God interacting with the world, we might think about relationships that we have, whether these relationships are good or bad and how God interacts with that. We might think about our vocation in life, what we do and who we are, what, whether uh, that be things that we do for pay to earn money or things that we do as part of the responsibilities of life. We might consider, <coughs> are these things that we do, are they good, are they hard to do? Are they difficult? Are they easy to do? Um, Do we enjoy them? Do we simply trudge through them? And we might ask, how does God interact 
with those parts of our life, whether they are enjoyable or not so enjoyable. We might think about health, whether our health is good or bad. How does God work in our lives if we are healthy or if we are sick? We might think about things going on in the world around us, whether that's natural disasters, uh, so disaster that's happening, or whether it's good weather that we're enjoying, or whether it's people. Uh, and their interactions with each other. So whether it's living in, uh, living in agreement and, and kind of peaceful, a peaceful world around us, or whether it's wars and disagreement that's happening in the world around us. Um, we might ask and, and look at how God works in the world from those different perspectives. And God has something to say about every part of our lives. Today, though, as we, we take a look at the big picture which can sometimes get lost in all of the little details of life. During the Christmas season, we think about the birth of Christ. Um, and, of course, that's in the name, right? It's in the name. Christmas tells us about Christ. Uh, now, of course, culturally speaking, Christmas has lost a lot of that connection for many as it becomes simply a time to give gifts and maybe think happy thoughts and be with family, but it's lost the Christ-centeredness of the holiday. So it's good to think about what Christmas really means in the big scheme of life and in our lives individually. As we think about our text today, I want to think about what Christmas means for the world, uh, the broader picture in that way, but also what it means, big picture, for us individually. Now, I'm sure as you've been, you know, if you've been here and hearing my, my sermons, you've realized that I don't often have point-by-point point, um, sermons where you follow along with an outline. And uh, for those of you who like following along with an outline, that might frustrate you. Um, and, uh, you know, I probably still don't exactly have that much of an outline to do but I, uh, uh, today, but I do have just a little bit of an outline. So I, we can think of three different phrases that we kind of can touch on in our text today. Um, one of them, we'll, we'll use the right, and then a blank after that. So we have the right time is the first thing. The right person is the second one. And then the, the third one is maybe the right the right stuff. <laughs> I didn't know really what to use on that last one, but okay, we've got the right stuff. So we have the right time, the right person, and the right stuff. Well, we look at the first one, uh, really just a brief portion of our text right at the beginning. Um, but it says so much, especially in the context of what Paul has been writing about this time, the sense of the guardian, the law being given as a guardian. Um, and he says, but when the set time had fully come, so remember, we're in the middle of an argument that Paul is making here, that God's people were in essence underage until the appointed time by the Father. Like a son who was an heir, but not with full possession until the appointed time. So here, Paul says, but when the set time, the appointed time, had fully come, as Paul starts out this way, we notice that what he is referring to, um, he's looking at as the time of maturity of God's people. This, not necessarily that they've grown into maturity, but that that time has been accomplished. This ushers in a sense of adulthood, which is permanent. So there's no going back to that previous time. So God's people now are in kind of a sense of adulthood, meaning they've gotten the full inheritance. 
why this particular time when Jesus was born was the right time in God's plan in history, we don't really know. We can make some speculation, such as, you know, the peace that existed in the Roman Empire, that people could travel freely within the empire, and that allowed the gospel to spread quickly. That may be one of the reasons why God did it at that particular time. We don't really know, but for whatever reasons, that was the right time. Now, there's more than just the right time in history for God to do his special work. The right time is true individually as well. And we can see that in our, uh, our scripture reading from Luke today. And our reading from Luke told us of a few people for whom this was the right time, not just in the grand scheme of things, but for them individually as they got to witness it and be a part of it. Simeon had learned by the Holy Spirit, and, and we don't know what means that was communicated by, but he had learned by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That must, that must have been pretty cool. I don't know, I don't know why it was just, just Simeon, but, uh, but he got to do that. With the guiding of the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts, found the baby Jesus, who he recognized by whatever means, I don't know what it was, but he recognized him as the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Simeon spoke of what Jesus would do in his life. That was the right day, the right time for Simeon. He got to speak words that would benefit all of us, but what a gift for him as well to see the baby Jesus. He got to see God's Son as a baby. Anna was there on the right day too, 84 years old. She had been living at the temple since she was young, worshiping God. And when she saw the baby who would save the world, that was the right day to tell everyone else who was also waiting for the redemption of God's city, Jerusalem, that would bring God's people in relationship with him. God comes to each person individually in different ways as our stories are different, but to each one of us he comes at the right time for us. Maybe the right time for us was when we were young. And the faith and trust in Jesus has been there our whole lives. Maybe the right time for some is later in life as we either find or rediscover the words of God's good gift to us. The set time had fully come as God worked in the world, and when the time is right, God works in our lives and gives us the faith to trust in Him. And He does that for those around us, that we get to bring that message to as well. When the set time had fully come, God... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. So at the right time, God sent the right person. As I mentioned last week, too, I think, you know, there is no just vague sense of hope in this. When we think about Christmas, people often might talk about the sense of hope of the season, but there's nothing that it's grounded in. But no, this is not just a generic sense of hope that we find here. This is very specific. God sent His Son. This is the only person 
who can do anything for us. There is no mere human on earth who can do enough either to save themselves or to save someone else. God sent many different prophets through history to lead his people, and many of them are spoken of with good words in Scripture, spoken of highly and respected by the people, and rightly so. But none of those prophets, no teachers, no people that you admire in your life are able to do what it takes to give you eternal life and to save you from death. God sent the right person. He is the right person as God's Son. And we hear also in this description that Paul uses that he is also human, like us. And that also makes him the right person. The right person is both God and human. Born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law. God sent just the right person for the world. He sent just the right person that Simeon and Anna were looking for. There was one person that they were looking for that God had guided them to, and they found him. He sent, as they described him, his salvation, God's salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to God's people, Israel. He sent the one who would be the redemption of Jerusalem, meaning the place where God met his people and and would interact with humanity that so often left him, God would redeem them and bring them back to him and us along with them. That is the right person to interact with humanity. And the way that Paul describes humanity is those under the law. This is the right person for you and for me. There are many who go through life not knowing what is the right way. What is the truth? Well, Jesus is the right way. As you and I are those who are under the law, who need redemption. And in taking another metaphor, Paul talks about our adoption as children of God. Jesus is as the right person, is right because he can make us God's children so that we each might be God's child. And so Paul says it this way, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's the right stuff. That's kind of vague, I know. But that's the right stuff, right? Because you are his sons, God sent sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. This is what God does in our lives. Simeon was able to pray, in a sense, thanking God that he had witnessed everything he needed to witness, to die in peace. He had seen it. He had seen the baby who would save the world. He was at peace. Why Simeon got to do that and so many others didn't, we don't know. But he recognized that this, this baby, is what it was all about. Now, instead of needing the ceremonial regulations to be pointed towards the completion of God's promises, we have the completion of the promise himself, Jesus. And because of that, 
We, those of us who believe and trust in Him, we have the Holy Spirit in us who cries out to our Father God for us and with us. This is the right stuff. We get to be God's children. We get to be part of God's family. Many of us, over the last week or so, have spent time with family, with our physical families. Most of us probably think fondly of time with family. It's a time that we enjoy. Now, we may also think of uh, some of the things that might annoy us about family. Um, maybe maybe uh, for some, now there might be some who maybe most of time with family is, uh, is kind of annoying. But I hope that that's not the case for you. I hope that you have a good picture in your mind when you think of family. But even with the disagreements and whatever else, and even if we have large disagreements with family members, um, you know, even the things that we might not always like about our family, we can probably, thinking about our family, we can probably imagine what it would be like to have perfect family. That's what God is giving us through Jesus. We have this reality collectively as a family, and we also have this reality individually, as individual people. Um, Paul, th- this reality that Paul describes this way. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. We get to enjoy God's salvation. We get to enjoy being part of his family. The right stuff that he gives us is being his child. There's nothing better than that. We don't have to be under the guardianship of special ceremonies and rules that help point us forward to what God will do. We are full heirs of this promise of God. Looking back at the right time where God sent the right person who came into history and spiritually came into our lives to give us the right stuff, making us his children. If we get lost sometimes in the little details of life, details that may be important in their own way, but not all-encompassing, maybe being reminded of the big picture can help, can help us get through those times. This is the big picture that tells us that all the details of our lives are in God's hands. And we know that. We know that's true because all of the details of the world are in His hands. We can be confident that the one who worked all of this and all of the time for His purposes has sent His Son at just the right time for us. And the one who revealed that to Simeon and to Anna, so that they could witness it, also brings that to us. And may that be an encouragement to us as we move into this next year and all of the details that may come our way. Whether they're good or bad, may we be encouraged in knowing that God, at the right time, sent the right person to make us his children. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
for your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus, who is the right person to save us. Thanks for sending him at the right time. Thank you for completing the promises that you made so that Jesus gave us, gives us new life and that you make us your children. Thank you that we can rest in that promise, be assured of it, and live in that promise every day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.